The subject for the evening talk is theory and uh, practice. To quite a considerable extent, we have been exposed to uh, a wide number of theories and views about what life is, the nature of life, and there does appear to be a wide number of claimants to reality of life. Sometimes that debate, if not conflict, has manifested itself in philosophy, in science, in religion, in various uh, theories. And sometimes in all of that, each person or group or belief system in expressing their views tend to express them uh, with some degree, one might say, of uh, certainty, if not absolutism. And I was rather reminded of this when a couple of days ago on the um, BBC television uh, news, which is never the best source for information, um, reported that there in the East um, was, forget the word, um, when the moon blocks out the sun, eclipse. There was an eclipse taking place. And various people, in this case in India, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Southeast Asia, etc., went out and, and used some special glasses or whatever to view this eclipse. And as people are in various parts of the world, um, it generates all manner of views and opinions about what was happening. Rather unfortunately, I felt for the BBC uh, uh, reporter, he adopted that... Um, I would call Western, um, not consciously, I'm sure, Western arrogant viewpoint um, in speaking in just in scientific uh, terms and theory that it was simply a eclipse, uh, a quirk uh, of the nature, I think was the actual description used, and then began to um, dismiss rather quickly in, in uh, one or two one-liners about these... Um, people who had all manner of views that it was um, the action of the gods, that, um, that there was terrible fear and suspicion, it was the, um, the downfall of uh, the earth, it was bad luck, misfortune, it was good luck, good fortune, or whatever it might be. And rather forgetting that there are a range of views and opinions, and one wonders, who are we? to be so absolute sure that our one is the correct one. And of course, we could easily turn to our own culture and society in the realm of views and opinions, and I'm sure just as equally and fervently in the West, many millions of people will say, well, everything that takes place is in the hands of God. Without God, nothing can take place, so therefore he as it's always a he here, directed 
the moon over the sun because everything is in his power and in his control. It's another a viewpoint. And these viewpoints, religious, scientific, philosophical, become great theories of life. Tremendous theories. And I'm sure at times you and I have expressed those theories, we've argued over them, we've even probably had the misfortune to study them and gain qualifications out of them as well. But theory is theory. A view is a viewpoint. It's a way of perceiving and conceiving. And sometimes the theories and the viewpoints that we have may not have any connection with our existence. They are something which we just generate as a set of beliefs, as sets of interpretations. We, in expressing them, put, put them out with a certain vigour and determination or whatever, whatever we might be speaking about. And yet, theory and practice, theory and experience, there may be a tremendous gap between the two. And therefore we might ask ourselves, how is it that I can have so many theories about life, philosophical opinions about life, about the way things should be, or the way other people should be, which is a very popular theory, and expressing all of that, yet be in a situation in life where we, with our theories, demand of others what we cannot generate from ourselves. There's rather a bizarre and all-too-frequent phenomena over this earth that we actually ask from others and expect, possibly demand from others, which we cannot generate and give and reveal and experience within ourselves. And that's thus many times our interpretations of others and how they should be and what they should be doing, whether it's groups of people or somebody who is all too close to us, keeps expressing a gap. A gap between theory and practice. And in a way, practice, working and exploring living, in a way, is to transform wise and noble theories of life into experience of it. And practice is a way, as it were, of bridging that gap. We might, as one person in a small group uh, reported uh, this afternoon, and um, all too uh, uh, common, uh, wake up in the morning, or it could be any time, and somebody does something which is one doesn't like. In this case, switching on of a light, or somebody making a noise getting out of bed, or uh, having a, a coughing fit, whatever it, it might be. And quite perhaps unexpectedly within oneself, one experiences fury. One would willingly, if one had the wood, crucify this person. And there's a reaction that goes on, and that reaction might get summarised along the lines, why can't he, she, they be more aware? 
wonderful theory. Why can't they be more aware? And we expect that there's a feeding into that, there's an expectation which goes there, which nobody can ever live up to. Nobody has reached, not a Buddha, all the way down to whatever level we wish to go to, can ever live up to the levels of awareness that other people demand of us. So the gap continues, and rather unfortunately in spiritual practices, that sometimes the mind becomes extraordinarily lazy, and it rather has the theory and to hell with the practice. So what happens, one hears terms like be here and now, be mindful, be conscious, be attentive, be receptive, be loving, compassionate, be homo sapiens instead of homo ignoramus, whatever it might be. But it can just be a theory. And one then can arrive in a place like this armed even more strongly with theories about the way other people should be living. And one's got an extra vocabulary to do it with. Why can't they let go? Why can't they see impermanence? Why are they so attached? What are they grasping uh, uh, onto? Etc, etc. But similarly, of course, in the world of theory as distinct from practice, one does it to oneself. So having mostly exhausted oneself, dumping upon other people, in the inexhaustible nature of the mind, there always seems to be just enough left over in the theorizing about how things should be to then get tired of dumping on others and then to revert to dumping on oneself. I can't do this. I'm no good at this. I'm not ready for this. I'm useless. I've never succeeded in anything I've ever done in my whole life. I can't keep still for a moment. My mind won't stop. Da, 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 da. And thus the movement of theorizing gets coupled with many other investments and emotions. And it can go anywhere, towards ourselves and towards others, with a certain degree of intolerance, possibly, towards ourselves and others. So theory is not really um, dispassionately objective. It's an ideology and any theory and ideology which you and I have in life carries with it, whether we like it or not, a whole other area of uh, inner life. Feelings and thoughts and states of mind and moods and so forth. And sometimes one finds oneself smiling at those who are um, super keen as a theory which we use on evolutionary theories another great theory one of us has some doubts about it given the behaviour of human beings in various parts of the world not excluding this part of the world of course <clears throat> and sometimes people get very tough and aggressive and forceful about their theories of evolution doesn't sound a very evolved kind of mind that's doing it so I say can we make 
look at what is theory and ideas and views and opinions that we express and what does practice mean in all of this? Part of the reason for our endeavouring to explore these things is because there's tremendous egos in theory. Tremendous egos, huge egos, are bound up in ideologies. And sometimes, whether it's the liberal tradition or fundamentalist or somewhere in between, have an incredible power upon people, the idea of theorizing about something. Some time ago, I travelled up on a train from uh, Totnes up to London, and I got into a conversation with uh, two um, men on the train. One was uh, a scientist with the uh, Royal Society, for whatever it is, science, and the other was uh, an author living in Cornwall. So the three of us got into what turned out to be a two or three hour discussion on various um, um, matters. And the scientist said to me, he said, one of the things that one has to remember in the field of uh, science, that never think of it as ob- that there is genuine objectivity in it. He said, most scientists that he knows, and he speaks for himself, are as much interested in security of tenure, if they're working in the universities, a good salary, paying for their children's um, education, and especially for being accepted by their peers in the scientific community. And to imagine that scientists can be really objective when there are so many other forces influencing their decisions is really taking giving too much credence and authority to science. The author, travelling the same train, travelling together, said to me that he was about 65, 70 years of age, and he said he had done nothing all his life but live in Cornwall and write novels. And he was relatively successful. He said that he had made an income out of it, which as some of you know in the writing field, a a writer is um, usually a middle-class label with less than working-class income. And he said he'd made a reasonable living as an author, writing novels, and he said, I've reached a point in my life where I I have realised that I've wasted my existence. And he said, I feel that those people in the world who have done something really useful instead of just entertain them, as I have done with my novels, because they don't have anything, any depth in them, they're just readable books. He said, those who have done something in their life really useful, he said, I envy those people. Interesting viewpoint. And one says, there's the theorizing which can take place. What's going to make theory into practice? What's going to make that transition very significant? In the same way, we also have equally theories about our own life. One of the common theories is what I would like to do. 
I would like to, and upon that I would like to, we add, maybe, a number of words, things which attract us to do. We might be in that experience of, in fact, not knowing what we would like to do. And it's not at all unusual for days, weeks, months, decades, lifetimes to go by where the predominant potent thought which is arising in the mind is what I would like to do. One's life is going by and and so forth, but what would I like to do? And one can still be uh, saying it while not sitting cross-legged in here, but sitting next door in the nursing home. What would I like to do? And thus sometimes I would like to, but it can be a lifelong theory. And all manner of other inner factors stop that theory, which can be comforting and nourishing and hopeful, actually actualizing. Something has to bridge the gap. One of the considerations which stops that gap from being bridged is holding on to what is. Holding on. Just literally, actually holding on. And that might show itself in uh, tremendous desires which infiltrate our psyche through cultural conditioning of security. And the more that we pursue uh, the conventional security, tendency tends to be fear that goes with it. So in making, uh, from a, making or going from a theory to something which one would like to do to change might have to mean some kind of practice which is going on to enable one to cut through fear. Fear is one of the most restrictive, limiting, destructive and uh, restraining influence in the psyche. And when we are not working as a practice with some of the fears which are arising and all the ego that's wrapped up in fear, it stops and it inhibits and so we live in theory. I would like to, but I can't because and to that we add various reasons. Or sometimes with our theory we take as an idea what I would like to be or what I would like to become something so out of our reach we use the theory to attack ourselves. We could have an idea of how I would like to be in this world, whatever, I'd like to be whatever, what does one people want to be these days? Bodhisattva? I don't know. Creative? Whatever? I don't know. Enlightened? Free? Whatever it, it might be. And that becomes a theory, but somehow there's a gap, as I mentioned, and that gap, in fact, is stopping that being stopped through fear, through holding. And thus, we take a certain comfort and discomfort in our theory, and all the theorizing in the world, all the thoughts in the world, don't seem to have that transformative influence. So practice 
in a way, exploration in a way, pays respect and acknowledges the theories that we have about life. But what is practice? Sometimes people come on retreats, and um, that happens fairly, fairly, well, it happens every retreat, I would, say, I would say, to some degree. And in the course of time of giving teachings over the, over the years, people turn up who I hadn't seen, I've been teaching 20 years, so I hadn't seen 10, 15, 20 years. And they see me, I will see them, and in that the aging process and all of that has gone on um, over a couple of uh, de- decades, maybe said a couple of days, it feels like it, but a couple of decades, naturally, naturally enough. And then people will say, I remember a time in my life when I was really seriously engaged in practice. Seriously engaged in, in the practice of awarenesses, explorations, looking into myself, looking into life, focusing on uh, all of that and finding a life, exploring a life which has some depth to it. And then slowly, it's a fairly common voice, and gradually and rather insidiously, that spirit and passion for life of spiritual practices began to fade away and slowly, slowly, in came the old patterns once again. Whatever it might be, pursuit of money, pursuit of uh, uh, c- uh, career, regardless of the consequences, um, security, prosperity, um, privilege, uh, status, all the ego-affirming things that can go on in our life. And the person says, I was working with that, I knew that could never be fulfilling, never be, never have real depth to it, and I found that gradually I fell back into it. I got caught up in it. That was 20 years ago. And I'm back, whatever it might be. Back on the meditation cushion, back in a retreat here or elsewhere, back looking at my life, back wondering what happened in that period of time. So when, this, when talking of spiritual practices and their application, it's till death do us part. Not something that once at all, I did that whenever it, it was. And now I'm back in the, in the re- real world. Real world is a kind of euphemism for uh, ego. And in that they say, okay, what? What does spiritual practice actually mean to me? What, what actually needs to be addressed and worked with? So there's some sense of what that, that word has some significance. If one test takes today for you, some of you have um, found this to be um, uh, possibly the longest day of your life, and sometimes a, a, a particular sitting can be the closest experience you ever had to eternity. And one is always complaining to oneself and um, um, to others who uh, have to listen of how 
quickly life is going by. And then one feels suddenly that a sitting or a day goes by incredibly long and incredibly slowly. On that theory, one should be incredibly grateful. <laughs> and one should be really should be wish, wishing that every day was like the first day of a retreat because life would be so long and etc. And, in, in, and eternal. And so the mind with its notions and sense of time and, and the day and its relationship to it it varies obviously quite dramatically and quite, quite, con- quite considerably. And then they say, well, what is, what is practice? What does it mean to engage in a, in a practice? And in that respect, one might usefully put it into one area, and that's the practice with form. And to quite some degree, during the duration of the day, there is a practice with form, sitting form, walking form, standing form, and a form which is held in the silence. In that form which is held in the, in the silence, one isn't being asked to do anything with any great intensity, though it can appear, gosh, this, oh, this whole day is a very intense day, but looking a bit more closely to it, it's pretty basic. Sit and walk and see what unfolds. Sit and walk and stand and eat in the silence and see what is revealed. See what shows itself. And that element of awareness has no favoritism to it, so that in other words, what shows itself is what shows itself. It's not especially showing the negative or the positive or what one appreciates or what one doesn't appreciate. It just reveals. Light just reveals. It reveals it all extraordinarily equally. So when we ask, well, who am I? What you get is who you are. That's it. And to think, oh, I am whatever, my true nature is Buddhahood and, 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 um, or whatever it might be, just falls into the nature of theory. What you get is what you are. And that exposure to, to that is, therefore, what has been shown to us today in body, in feelings, in thoughts, in moods and states of mind, please, that's it. And all the theorizing about that shouldn't be like that, and that shouldn't be there, and by now I should be in transcendental bliss after all this day, that's not the fact. It might be I haven't spoken to everybody, but, you know, just a generalized view here. So, the experience which is immediate is, as it were, everyday language that shows us to be who we are. In that, some of those experiences and feelings and thoughts which have been arising in the, in the course of today, the relationship to them matters as well. What kind of relationship do we have to the experience that shows itself. That dynamic is wherein the field of practice is. 
life is an ongoing field of relationship. It's an ongoing field of experiences. These field of experiences, we have, we say, a relationship to, to them. That experience and the relationship to it is what matters for each and every one of us. What we experience in our relationship to the experience. Sometimes we meet people and who their experience is dramatic. Dramatic for the like of which perhaps most of us, maybe all of us in this room, have not known, thank God, and who have been exposed to situations in life which make, which one takes one's breath away. Sometimes they're physical situations, of course, life, health of the body. Sometimes situations which emotional life and uh, inner life, etc. And one wonders to oneself, how is it that a human being facing and dealing with such experiences can handle it, can live with it? What kind of relationship is it that some people have where they can accommodate things in life which you and I perhaps could never imagine having to deal with, let alone accommodate? Something has been going on within that person which has, may not have changed the experience, whatever it is, but the relationship to it has changed in a way which is able to accommodate. For some that comes naturally and organically and some kind of consciousness which makes it possible. Here we're saying that consciousness is not just for the privileged. It's not just for people who, have, who are blessed, as it were, with a capacity to be expansive and spacious and accommodating even of the most traumatic situation. That capacity to be spacious and accommodating and to deal with anything of life can come to a human being through what? Through practice. Through practice. It's not some quirky evolution. It's not some, um, gosh, they're so lucky they found those resources in them and I don't think I've got them inside of me. Come through practice. Come through an outlook, a relationship to life. Even though a person may not use the word practice. We say here, it's the practice which makes that possible. And having seen, of course, people have come on retreats and to have said, um, Christopher, this will be my uh, um, last retreat, my life expectancy is another three, four, five, six weeks or or whatever. And in that practice, the change and transformation that has taken place. So, practicing, exploration, awareness, consciousness, and all those kind of themes which we refer to, has a deepening impact upon us, and a deepening impact upon us, in a way which theory can't be a substitute for. The world of difference between one and the other. 
And so we shouldn't be shy or nervous or whatever about challenging the great range of theoretical ideas uh, uh, in life and try to address what our experience is. And I think some of, some of us, I don't know about you, but certainly I see for myself, that um, sometimes when people are strongly theorizing and, and there's not practice going on um, in, their, in their life, it, it, it's like, it's, I find it the parallel of, um, I don't take them, but um, of what I would imagine, of taking a sleeping tablet. And sometimes one has been to these um, conferences. You know, sometimes you know, goes to these conferences on Buddhology. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, one of the greatest forms of um, self-denial is to go to um, Buddhology conferences. And one listens in the morning and in the afternoon and or whatever, and then afterwards there's the tea break and the theorizing go, go, goes on. And one, one, one feels numbed by it. So many words, so many theories go, going on. And, and one just, you know, I feel compassion very occasionally for those people in Parliament. Um, the same thing, so many, so much tension in the air showing itself in the power of the words backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And saying, yes, the words have a tremendous usefulness and validity, but how's our inner life? And so all that we can take as the raw material for that is what is our experience of today? And sometimes in that relationship to that experience of today, what we actually see and observe that the bare truth of those experiences is sometimes falls into two simple ways. Either this is something which I have to accept or this is something which needs to be changed. And sometimes that's what it comes down to. This I have to accept. She left me. He left me. Wouldn't be seen dead in the same house, same apartment, and certainly not in the same bedroom anymore. And this person has gone one can go into a storm inside there, protesting, disappointment, rejection, hatred, guilt, thoughts of revenge, complaining, bittering, etc., etc. Why? Can't accept the fact. Can't accept the fact. And all the noise that the mind creates emotionally, intellectually, Theorizing all the moods, all the sleepless night is because one is sometimes unwilling to accept the fact. And therefore, all that goes on in the mind for some situations in our, our life, I just used one of them there, that it will require to dig deep, which is the practice, to find what acceptance is because that was, that's what the practice is in that particular situation. There is no other practice. And somebody has said, gone, bye, no thank you, I'm dead, finished, whatever the expression of it might be, that it draws and demands upon us a practice of acceptance. And sometimes, well, I'm not trying to uh, oversimplify, well, actually I am a little bit, <laughs> is in 
the relationship to situations in our life and the lines I appreciate can go backwards and forwards as practice goes of we are experiencing something it's coming up noticeably for us it keeps repeating itself therefore it's an indicator that something has to be dealt with and what it's saying to us in so many ways and means that something needs to be changed it can't go on like this whatever that might be and then practice then takes the expression and the challenge and it's just as big a challenge as acceptance of what is the essential core issue that needs to be changed and where is the resources and the practice going to come that makes it possible if I don't feel inwardly I'm in, the, I'm in the journey of change in that situation then every thought I have is nothing but a theory because there's no practice going on so as I say with the field of practice sometimes for us it needs to address change and sometimes for us it needs to address acceptance other ways of looking as well are quite aware of that but um, just saying so there may have been for some of you during the flow and rhythm of today various things which are standing out and if you stop and you bring some awareness to it in your heart of hearts you know it's one or the other and every noisiness of the mind every agitating every da 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 in a way is a kind of diversion and possibly an escape from the core issue of acceptance or change we can be sitting in the, in the meditation of course and sometimes it's not um, uh, that kind of uh, quality shall we say or strength of issue that's going on but rather one is sitting and there's some restlessness in the mind there's um, some discomfort in the body um, it's not always easy um, sitting and uh, walking some people have come in extremely confessional tones and have said you know I've been coming to Guy House for um, ages done loads of retreats here but I've never yet done a walking meditation <laughs> that what seems to happen is I do a sitting meditation and then have the need to recover in the horizontal posture for the next 45 minutes or find myself um, um, looking in the mirror and washing my hands and having a cup of tea to fill in the time etc etc and again in our relationship to the flow and the rhythm of these things there's fields of acceptance there's fields of change but sometimes it's just as I said restlessness or some lots of thoughts going on nothing very substantial not even worth trying to probe and say well do I have to accept this do I have to change this or whatever it doesn't merit that consideration just mind dancing around like leaves when the wind is blowing but there are situations as I said where it's extraordinarily apparent to you and extremely clear to you that it is one or the other 
now you're here, your time's come. What's it going to be? And sometimes from that, it requires quite a degree of commitment, a degree of uh, concern, and a degree of working with as a practice. But that practice, when it's clearly acceptance and change, does bring an emotional maturity in life. Because it places, when we're fighting against acceptance, when we're resisting change, or whatever, it just breeds unhappiness in the human heart. It breeds the lingering on effect that it can have. So we keep as much as we can making this shift from theorizing about the way things should be and saying, well, Useful, but I must. I need to practice. Need to practice these things. The breath and the body, which in the guided uh, meditations and in instructions, we'll of course be speaking about more. That in the uh, sitting, particularly, of course, when there is some pain and discomfort, in a way, it, the the bodily life, as a fact, but as a metaphor, becomes part of that process. So that, in other words, we might be sitting with some discomfort. And in that sitting with the discomfort, we say, let me work with this. Let me accept this. Let me learn to accept this pain. Not fight it, not resist it, and use it as a practice towards acceptance. At some point in it, sooner or later, there will come about the necessity to make a change to change the posture. Can that change be done in a conscious and mindful way? So that one's getting used to the manifestations of life in the fields of acceptance and in the fields of change. And these practices here can, as it were, show the way and indicate that. And of course, in working with anything, such as working with acceptance, if there's physical pain and discomfort, it can generate reactivity and fear. And that reactivity and fear can be fear of, oh my God, if I stay in this dreadful cross-legged posture, and if I don't uh, move, then I'll be uh, in it for the rest of my existence. And uh, probably are a few people wandering around. Denbury, one thinks, in some specially designed um, wheelchairs for meditators. So far, we haven't had to carry anybody out, but of course, you might be the first. And in that, generally speaking, if there's enough consciousness and awareness, there ought to be enough wisdom that one isn't using um, pressure and um, control and great forces of willpower upon oneself. So working with the theory of acceptance, working with, with change in our life and the well-being of our inner life is very much related again and again to the relationship to that which needs to be accepted and that which needs to be changed. And perhaps most of us would be a little bit hard-pressed in life to think of an example where unease and discomfort inwardly in life hasn't somewhere been concerned with our relationship to acceptance or change. 
think of anything in life which has bothered you. Somewhere in it there's a dynamic there. All of that is a way towards a wisdom in life. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be deeply into themselves. May all beings know the difference between theories and practice. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.